Okay, good morning, everyone. My name is Grant. I'm one of the pastors or elders here at Restored. And we've been in a series on the Holy Spirit over the last while, just talking about who the Spirit is and what He does and really what that means for us as followers of Jesus. And today we're going to be carrying on that series. But I did just want to say my, my hope and desire with this series would be that you feel encouraged outside of a Sunday and the other six days of the week to be depending on the Spirit and seeking the Spirit and walking with the Spirit and being led by the Spirit and asking the Spirit for His gifts and His guidance and His help and His empowering in everything that you do. So I trust that we would be like leaning into that more and more, growing in that dependence muscle. And today we're going to be carrying on talking about healing. Now, I'm sure for some of you guys, you've been in church your whole lives and you've maybe never heard a sermon on healing. What's well, popped up from time to time, but you haven't had like much teaching around this or not. I'm excited to share on this today because I think it is so important and it's something that shows up in the scriptures so much. So I'm looking forward to teaching on it, but I do know at the same time that coming into a topic like this, talking about something like healing, this can be really personal and painful for some of you. That some of us come into a conversation like this with questions and doubts and disappointments, wondering why did God not heal this person in my life that I care about? Why didn't God heal my mom, my dad, my, my friend, my child, myself in this way? And this could have even impacted you in ways where you're confused, you're, you're sad, you're disappointed with God, and you doubt God's goodness, you doubt God's ability to do this. So I understand coming into a topic like this that there is sensitivity this morning. So before we get into the text, before I do any teaching on what the Bible has to say about healing, I did just want to share some of my story with healing, some of the experiences I've had that my wife has had in our own family, just so that you know I'm coming into this like you, with pain and with joy and just different experiences around this topic. So... Um, I want to let you know up front that my parents and my wife's parents have all had cancer. That's four parents, four out of four, 100% hit rate. That's not the kind of stats that you want when it comes to sickness. And for us, I, I know we've been in church gatherings like this before, when someone has used that word very um, unsensitively, just thrown that out compared to sin to cancer or, or talked about cancer in a way that seems thoughtless and painful because we've been going through something. You know, we, we've had a parent who's in the throes of that. We're unsure of how that's going to resolve. And I realized today, whether it's that word or another word, it might just be a parent that you've lost. It might be a friend you've lost. It might be something you're going through today. And I hope as I share this that you can relate to some of our story. But my dad is currently recovering from prostate cancer. They found this in him at the end of last year. In February, he went in for his treatment and they put some radiation pellets in his prostate to help him heal. And the doctors say that he's doing better. The, the results are looking good. It was not that serious when they found it. He's getting better and we praise God for that. About 13 years ago, Shell's mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. This was the first uh, person in our family to um, test positive for cancer. This was scary for us. I mean, it's a scary word to hear, and it's an uncertain thing. You know, when you hear, okay, she's got this, what does this mean? And I remember we weren't married yet. I remember taking her in for her radiation treatments, and I remember waiting with her before and after those, and just the, the pain it caused her. But again, I praise God for that treatment and the fact that she recovered and has been like free and clear of that for the last 13 years. But then in 2012, Shell's dad died of lung cancer. 
and he was 57 at the time, a lot younger than uh, we expected to lose him at. He was a man of faith. He'd been a pastor and a missionary for over three decades. He was a church planter. He was a preacher. He was an evangelist. He was a missionary. He'd served God his whole life. And he was actually meant to be leading a team to Greece at the time that he died. Shell's sister was on that trip. Um, she was in Greece when we found out the news. We were pretty surprised that he died so quickly and so suddenly and so soon. He was a really good man. Uh, maybe the most positive and encouraging man I've ever known. Just a real gift in our lives, and we miss him deeply. And he, he went really fast. So we were um, getting married, and two weeks before our wedding, uh, he called a family meeting. And um, I can see, sorry, seeing some of your emotion in the room, so I'm sorry that I'm getting emotional too. But um, he called this family meeting. And we knew it wasn't good, you know. Uh, this was our first family meeting, at least since I'd been in the family. It was a Thursday night. I remember us sitting in the living room waiting for him and his wife, Kathy, Shell's mom, to arrive. And when he sat down, he shared the news he had cancer. But he was so positive, so encouraging. He said, I believe God's going to heal me. I believe God's going to lead me through this. I believe I'm going to get better. And we prayed with him and we trusted. Two weeks later, we got married. And he walked Shell down the aisle at the wedding reception, he danced his face off. I think it was one of the proudest days of his life. It's a really special moment. We went on honeymoon for two weeks, and then two weeks after we got back, he died. Um, it was a complete surprise. We were still trusting that he would be healed. He was on chemo. We were actually away for the weekend with friends, and we got the call and drove back. It was a complete surprise. So we were very sad to lose him, obviously. And his was the first funeral that I ever did. It's a wild situation as a new husband doing the funeral for my father-in-law. And we had people coming from around the world to mourn with us and to celebrate his life. And it was a beautiful thing having people come and share stories that we'd forgotten about, memories reminding us of different things to do with John, ways he'd impacted their lives, and then sharing stories we'd never heard. These incredible stories of how he had been a gift to people, a blessing to people, how he led them to follow Jesus, how he'd served and cared for them. It's a really encouraging time. And we had some family stay with us. I remember some of those meals just being really rich and beautiful moments together. But we also had some really thoughtless, unwise, unempathetic, hurtful comments that people made over that time. I remember one couple coming to comfort Shell's mom. We were in the other room and they said to her, Wow, John must have had some chink in his armor that he didn't know about. I just think, what does that mean, you know? Someone else said to Shell's mom, obviously there was some sin in his life that he was struggling with that led to him dying. I really wish I'd been in the room to kick those people out of the house. It made me so furious to hear those things. Just as like a pastoral aside, sin can be linked to sickness. It can be but not always. We live in a fallen and broken world where there are many causes for sickness and death. And it seemed like the theology that these people had was that if you're a Christian and you do the right thing, nothing bad will ever happen to you. And if you're a Christian and there's some sin in your life, then bad things will happen to you. This kind of thing doesn't happen to good Christians. That seemed to be what they were saying. Terrible theology, terribly unwise and unempathetic and very hurtful for us as a family at that time. Obviously, this was a really challenging time for us as a newly married couple. It was a very tough time for us as a family. And we miss him deeply to this day. But I will say one of the comforting things for us in the midst of this was that Chell's dad, John, loved the thought of heaven. 
since he'd become a Christian in his early 20s. He had um, studied it, thought about it, talked about it often. He, loved, he was desperate to go to heaven and be in heaven with Jesus. And as much as we wish he had been healed in this life here and now, we do know that in heaven with Jesus, he has been healed and he is well for the rest of time. That is some of the good news that we trust and hold to, even in the fact that we have lost him. He is healed. He is in no more suffering or pain or sickness. He is strong and healthy and healed with Jesus forever. Lastly is my mom's story from 2017 and 2018. Um, my mom went in for a, a cataract appointment the one day. She was looking to have her cataracts removed. And when the eye doctor looked and kind of shone a, a light in her eye, there was a shadow at the back of her eye that um, they weren't sure what it was, but they were worried about it. And when they did the test, they found that there was a cancerous growth at the back of her eye. And my mom had to go in and have a radium disc sewn to the back of her eye to try and like attack that cancer. And again, this is a scary thing. We weren't sure what this meant for our family. And my parents are not Christians. They're not followers of Jesus. They've been very supportive of us and encouraging to us, but they just don't have a faith in Jesus. So we went to pray for my mom one day, and it was like a brave practice for us, you know, going to ask people to pray that Jesus would heal them, not knowing how they would respond and caring deeply about my mom, but at the same time, not wanting her to be hurt or offended or pushed back on something like this. And I was grateful. She was really open. She was scared about what was going on. So we got to pray with her, lay hands on her and ask Jesus for his healing, his healing in her life. My mom went um, in for the surgery, this treatment, and came out and then went to see the doctor a few months later. And it was incredible. The doctor said to her, it is a miracle. This cancer has shrunk way more than I expected it to. I was, I was going to say you would need to come back every six months for the rest of your life. But I'm just going to ask you to come back in six months. And if nothing has changed, you never have to see me again. And I remember being at work. I remember being outside when I read my mom's text saying, it's a miracle, I've been healed, thanks to prayer. It's amazing to see Jesus answer prayer like that, but at the same time, my mom didn't become a Christian after experiencing this. She didn't put her faith in Jesus, she didn't begin to follow him, she experienced something supernatural and powerful like that, where she gave glory to God, she thanked him for what he had done, but it didn't change her trust in Jesus. And I want to share that because other than those first two stories, these are different experiences with sickness and healing. And I know some of you might be able to say, that's my story, or maybe your story is slightly different. But each of us have got these experiences with sickness and the pain that comes from it. And hopefully some of us have experiences of Jesus healing. And today what I really wanted to do is just share a little bit about this. I, I thank God for doctors and medicine and for the way that has played a part in my parents' lives seeing my, my dad go through his recovery, seeing Shell's mom go through radiation treatment and be healed. I praise God for my mom's healing experience and I grieve and ask why over Shell's dad's death. I wish he was still with us today. I wish he'd been able to meet his granddaughter. We mourn his loss, even though we believe he is healed with Jesus today. And there is both great pain in these stories and great joy at the way that God works. And what I want to do today is look at what the Bible has to say about healing. And I hope you would open your heart to what the scriptures teach. And I hope you'd be encouraged today. And at the end of the service, we're going to spend some time praying for you if 
you are sick and you're trusting Jesus to heal, and also praying for family members and friends who might be sick, asking him to heal them too. So let's start talking about Jesus and healing. If you look at the ministry of Jesus, you see that this is something that comes up again and again and again. It's like everywhere Jesus goes, people are healed. And in Matthew 4, verse 23 and 24, we read this. It says, Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news spread about him throughout Syria, so they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics, and he healed them. And Matthew actually shares something like this again in Matthew 9.35. It's a passage some of you would know, where he looks out over a crowd of people, and he says that they're sheep, like sheep without a shepherd. He feels deep compassion for them. He encourages his church to pray for people. And it says that he did the same thing. He, he taught, he preached, and he healed. And this seems to be the ministry of Jesus. It's the way Matthew sees it. Jesus taught the scriptures, and he preached the good news of the kingdom of God, the, the gospel, and then he healed the sick. Those were the three things that he did wherever he went. And if we look at the scriptures, we see that Jesus healed hundreds, if not thousands of people as he traveled along and did ministry. Thousands of people. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is still doing those kinds of things in and through his church. He is continuing his ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit amongst us and through us. Jesus is a healing God. And the reason I wanted to start with that is because this is so central to the heart of God. So the second thing I want to answer is, but why did Jesus heal? Why is this so central to his ministry? There's a quote by Tim Keller that I really like. He says, answering that question, Jesus' miracles in particular were never magic tricks designed only to impress and coerce. You never see him saying something like, see that tree over there? Watch me make it burst into flames. Instead, he used miraculous powers to heal the sick, feed the hungry, and raise the dead. Why? We modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. His miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but also wonderful foretastes of what he is going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we all want is coming. I hope that encourages you. I hope you see that as beautiful, Jesus doing his ministry, giving us a foretaste of the kingdom that is coming and is still to come. Secondly, what about a theology of healing? What does the Bible teach us about this? I don't know who of you watched John Oliver and saw his episode on televangelists. It's pretty shocking. Iris is nodding over there. Um, I want to say just before you go home and watch it, the language is very strong. There's blasphemy in it. It's very mocking and harsh about the church, and I get it. Honestly, watching that episode makes me think, if I had no background with the church or Christianity, I would want nothing to do with it because of how off-putting the things that he shares in that episode are. And he shares a bunch of information and clips of different faith healers and televangelists speaking about healing and offering healing to the people that are watching their programs. And really, these so-called faith healers and preachers are manipulating people. 
They're preying upon people who are weak and in need to get money from them. People who don't have anything to give are being used to enrich these men and women's ministries. One of the things they speak about on these shows is seed giving, where you, the more you give to that ministry, to that preacher, to that church, the more you will get back from God in return. One of the preachers on the show says this, it's a direct quote, the size of your seed will determine the size of your harvest, which is biblical language, so it sounds good. The seed you sow will lead to the harvest that you reap, which you understand why people would believe this kind of thing and buy into it. It, it sounds very biblical. Another direct quote, I don't understand why, but there's something that happens when people step into faith and give $1,000 that doesn't happen at other levels of giving. Another direct quote, if you give $273, you will unlock your breakthrough. If you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and look at the healing ministry of Jesus, it looks nothing like that. Jesus never charges people for healing. He never asks for money. And he never speaks about the amount you give leading to the amount of breakthrough that you will receive. Jesus never says something like, for 273 denarii, you can unlock your breakthrough. That's just not in his ministry at all. And why this is so problematic and why this kind of teaching, which is probably found in many different churches to some degree, is such a problem and is actually heresy, is because what it is saying is that what you give to God determines what you will get back from God. It is the opposite of the good news of Jesus, that it is by grace, freely you have received, now freely give. It's not about what we do for God, what we give to God, what we can pay. It's about what he has done for us and what he gives to us. We do not need to give to be healed, and we don't need to give to earn God's love or his forgiveness or his acceptance or his approval. Jesus has done it all on the cross. In fact, what the gospel teaches us is that we can't give enough. We can't do enough. We can't earn enough. We can't um, unlock this kind of blessing from God by what we do because we can never do anything good enough. Jesus has had to do it in our place. He gives it freely. Healing is by grace. It's not by works. It's not by effort. It's not by trying. It's by what Jesus does for us. I want to say there's a lot of bad theology out there, and there's a lot of bad theology when it comes to the area of healing. And I hope as we look at this passage in John 5 today, that you'll be encouraged to seeing how Jesus teaches this man and encounters this man and what he does for this man. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 5, otherwise we'll read from the screen. This passage doesn't tell us everything that there is to be said about healing. We could never do that in one sermon, but it will tell us a lot and honestly, I think this passage dismantles a lot of unhealthy theology around healing that you may have heard in the church before. John 5 verse 1. After this, a Jewish festival took place and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. And within these lay a large number of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, and realized he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Verse 8, get up, Jesus told him, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat and started to walk. Now that day was a Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, 
This is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. He replied, the man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you, pick up your mat and walk? They asked. But the man who was healed did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Classic Jesus. After this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So what do we learn about healing from this passage in John chapter 5? Well, firstly, we've already looked at Matthew 4 verse 23, where it speaks about Jesus healing uh, every disease and sickness among the people. If you looked at that verse alone, you would draw a theology from that. Every disease and sickness. Here in John chapter 5, we have a very different experience. Jesus sees a large crowd of sick people, but only goes to one person and heals him. So as we hold those two passages next to each other, we've got to wonder, well, what does that mean for our theology of healing? Jesus sees the whole crowd of sick people around that pool. He sees them all, but then he seems to specially see this one man who's been there and be drawn to him and to heal that man. In verse 5, it says he goes towards him, this specific man, not anyone else, for some reason. And the others, for some reason, don't get healed. And we don't get any insight into why him and why not anyone else. Honestly, to me, it, it feels a little bit unfair. Like, they're all there wanting to get healed. This is the only one Jesus goes to. Why him? But the scriptures don't answer that for us. The, the why questions I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, they're, they're all over John chapter 5. Why him? Why not these others? Why just him? Why Jesus? You could have healed them all. What is going on? We get the why questions, but we don't get the answers we're looking for here. All we know is that in John 5, in this moment, Jesus only heals that man. So what do we do with that? Well, I've already said um, in eternity, we know that all people who are with God in his kingdom will be well. There'll be no more sickness, suffering, pain, or death. Healing will not, or sorry, sickness will not exist and healing will not be necessary when we are with him in heaven or in the new heavens and new earth. All will be healthy and well always. But in this life, we will experience brokenness and pain and suffering in the world we live in because of the fall. And even those who are healed now will get sick again. Even those who might die, those Jesus raised from the dead, they died again. These things, sickness and being raised from the dead, so healing and being raised from the dead, they point us to Jesus. They are not the end. Being healed once is not the end because you could get sick again. You will one day die. But healing is pointing us to what Jesus is like, who he is. In this life, there will be sickness and suffering and pain and death, even though Jesus is a healer. We live in a fallen world marked by sin and pain. There is evil, injustice, idolatry and brokenness around us. Things are not the way they should be. And we live in this tension of the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God. We're experiencing the reality of the kingdom when we pray for healing and someone is healed. But we're also experiencing the brokenness and fallenness of our world when we get sick or when we are not healed. N.T. Wright in his book, Simply Jesus, says this. When Jesus healed people, he intended it to be clear that this wasn't just a foretaste of the future reality, 
This was reality itself. This was what it looked like when God was in charge. God's kingdom was coming as he taught his followers to pray on earth as it is in heaven. And as you read about the kingdom, we, we see these different passages, like when Jesus walks um, into any place and speaks about the gospel, he says, the kingdom of God has arrived. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is amongst us, even as we gather here today. And it speaks about the kingdom that is coming. So we live in those different realities. But until the day that Jesus returns, he calls us to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done, and to seek first the kingdom of God, if you remember that from Matthew 6. But until he comes, we will not experience the fullness of the kingdom. We will experience healing. We will experience sickness. But when he comes, the fullness of the kingdom will be our reality forever. Secondly, the man that encounters Jesus in John chapter 5 didn't have a good theology. He actually had a terrible theology of healing, if you read what's going on here. Uh, not all the translations include this fully, but in verse 4 and 7, we get exposed to the superstition or this thinking that seemed to be going on in that place at that time. That, they, that in that pool, the angel would come from time to time and stir the waters. And the first person who got into the pool after the waters were stirred would be healed. That's what they believed. And that's probably why all of those sick people were in that place. That's not something that the Bible says is true. That was a superstition that was believed in that day. And this man believed it. So when Jesus says to him, do you want to be healed? His only frame of reference is, I can be healed if I get in the pool. That's the only way. So he says, maybe in a bit of a frustrated and annoyed way, well, I don't have anyone to get me into the pool. How can I be healed unless I get into the pool first? You know, That's my only chance for healing. This guy's got a bad theology around healing, around Jesus, around the kingdom. And Jesus still heals him. So I want to say that to some of us, you know, you might have a really good theology of healing. You might believe all the right things. You might know all the passages. What we believe, what we think doesn't determine whether we get healed or not. Obviously, having a good theology around anything is better than not. But here we see this man doesn't believe rightly about these things and he is still healed. And what that shows us is that it is Jesus who heals us, not what we believe, not even right thinking. Thirdly, this man doesn't seem to have earned or deserved this healing in any way. There's nothing in the story that tells us that he's a good or a godly man. In fact, some of the commentaries, some of the theologians say that in verse 14, when Jesus goes back to him later and says, sin no more so that nothing worse will happen to you, it might be indicating that this wasn't a great guy. Not a moral person, not a spiritual person. We don't really know. We don't have an insight to his life. What we know is he could be any man. He could be you. He could be me. We don't think, for, there's no reason for us to believe from this passage that he's earned or deserved this in any way. He just receives this by grace. This healing is a gift of God to him. He just receives it. And fourthly, the thing I find most surprising in this passage is he doesn't even know that it's Jesus who heals him. I don't know if you picked this up when we read through verse 12 to 13. This man has no faith, has no idea who he is. Who is this man who told you, pick up your mat and walk, they asked. But the man who was healed did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. He had no faith because he didn't even know who Jesus was. So we see here that this man is healed by Jesus' faith, not by his own. He literally brought nothing to this exchange. He was just there. That's the only thing he brought to the situation. He doesn't pray. He doesn't have good theology. He isn't a particularly good man. 
He has no idea who Jesus is. And he doesn't even ask Jesus to heal him. I don't know if you've seen this in the passage, but when Jesus says, do you want to be healed? He's like, he doesn't say, yes, please. Can you do that? He says, I've got no one to get me into the pool. So he doesn't even pray. He doesn't even ask to be healed. But Jesus instantly in verse eight says to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And he's healed. Jesus doesn't even pray for him or lay hands on him. That's it. Those eight words and instantly the man is healed. He gets up and he does what Jesus said he should do. And I, wanna, I wanted to share on this passage today because the question is, what do we do with this? I, I think this passage for some of us who've been in church before and have heard message on, on this kind of dismantles a lot of the things that we might have been taught. And I think in this healing encounter with Jesus, the big idea that should stand out to us is not a formula about how we see healing happen, but that Jesus is a healer and that he heals by grace. What we get from John 5 is not a formula on how to pray for healing, on how to receive healing, but that Jesus is a healer and that he heals by grace. Jesus sovereignly heals this one man and a crowd of many sick people who brings nothing to the table. In fact, it seems to me, like my opinion would be, there's a lot of unhelpful things about this guy that I wouldn't think he would get healed. But Jesus sees him, goes to him, moved by compassion, goes to him and heals him. And I hope that encourages you today, if you are sick, or if you want to be someone who prays for others who are sick, that Jesus is the healer, that even unqualified people, people who don't have it all together, get healed and can minister healing to others. It's not about us, it's about Jesus the healer and his grace that heals. Let's end with our response to this and talk about the church and healing. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 5. In, sorry, James chapter 5. You're already in John 5. In James 5, we get to read Jesus' brother's writings to the church about healing. And what I love about this is James, Jesus' brother, knew Jesus, knew his ministry, and is writing to us about Jesus' heart for the church in regard to sickness and healing, what we should do. He's so familiar with his brother's life and ministry and all of those things. And he writes with the same heart as his brother to us. And he says this in verse 13 to 18. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they had to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. So what does James say to us as the church? How do we respond if we're sick? He says, if you are sick, call the elders of the church and ask them to pray for you. Being, being anointed with oil is a sign, a representative, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's coming and anointing us and touching us for healing. But he says, if you're sick, call the elders of the church, ask them to pray. And if there's any sin in your life, confess that sin too. Notice that James doesn't say here, if you are sick, you should wait for someone to approach you. I find that like a really interesting thing. He says, you go to the elders and ask for prayer, not wait for someone to offer prayer. Don't wait, ask. And I think what's important here 
about this is the why. Shell and I were in a room with this older theologian, his name is Michael Eaton, um, and we were asking a bunch of questions about theology, and this came up the one time. People saying, why are the elders of the church? You know, anyone can pray for healing. It's not like the elders are super healers or have a special gift or hotline to heaven or something like that. Why does he say that there? And this guy very simply just said, I think it was a helpful system in the church that if people were sick, they knew who to go to and who to ask for prayer. It made so much sense because in verse 16, just a little bit down the line, James writes and says, pray for one another so that you may be healed. So his idea is not just that the elders would be praying for healing, so that the whole church would be praying for one another that we would be healed. But this seems like a system. That's something we're going to do at the end of the service. Adam and I will pray for people who are sick. We will ask God to heal. But also you can ask one another, would you pray for me? I am sick. Would you ask God with me that he would bring his healing? So call the elders of the church, but the elders are not special. The elders don't have some special healing powers that other people don't have. That's not what is going on here. Again, there is a lot of that in the media. This special preacher this special teacher, if you come to them, you will be healed. If you pay them, you can get your healing or your breakthrough. That's not what's going on in James 5. That's not the heart of the New Testament. Jesus is the healer. And when we are sick, we come to him and we ask in prayer that he would heal us. I think this this passage, James 5, gives us a picture of the kind of culture we can build in a church. Some of us, maybe we've been sick before and we haven't even thought that we should ask someone to pray. I want to encourage you going forward, if you are sick, come and ask. Ask the elders, would you pray for me that God would heal me? Ask someone in your GC to say, hey, I'm not feeling well. Would you pray that God would heal me? And we trust that the prayer of faith, we would see healing in your life. Let me end with a few other pastoral comments about healing and then we'll pray and close. Firstly, and this is a really important one, biblically, we see that people are not always healed when we pray for them. That's a really important thing for us to see from Scripture. In Galatians 4 verse 13, we read Paul the Apostle saying this about himself. He says, you know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a weakness of the flesh. The ESV says a bodily ailment. He was sick. Paul the Apostle was sick when he was going through Galatia, and his sickness in that place led to the planting of a church, which is kind of wild. Uh, The book of Galatians was really the first book that was taught through in this church when it was planted, and that book was written by Paul to a church that he had planted because he was sick. It seems like most theologians think he probably had something wrong with his eyes, and he got stuck in that place for a while, and because of that, the gospel was preached, disciples were made, and a church was planted. But somehow, for some reason, Paul was not healed in that place. And I think Paul knew what James 5 said. I think he knew to ask other people for prayer. I think he knew to pray and ask God for healing. And he just was not healed. But God used that time to plant a church. Later in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23, Paul writes to his son in the faith, Timothy. And he says this, Don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine. Some of you love that because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. So Timothy is probably the lead pastor of the church in Ephesus. He's an elder, one of the guys who does the praying for people who are sick. And he's getting sick all the time. He's, he's got like kind of a weak temperament, you know. He's got frequent illnesses going on. And again, this is one of the guys who is frequently praying for people in the church. I'm pretty sure he's gone to someone and said, hey, can you pray for me? Would you heal me? 
And Paul's advice to Timothy, who is frequently sick, is not, hey, go to one of the elders and ask for prayer. And he doesn't say, hey, go to someone and ask for prayer, because that guy was obviously a dud. The person who prayed for you the first round didn't have what it took. Go to someone with more faith, a better prayer, and then I'm sure you'll be healed. Paul doesn't give a supernatural response to his sickness. He gives a very practical one. He says, hey, because of what's going on with your stomach, don't just drink water, have a little bit of wine. He's really saying what we would say today. I think you should take this medicine. Why don't you try this? I think the wine will help your stomach. I think it'll help you to get better. That is Paul's advice to Timothy, an elder in the church. So we need to accept and see that biblically, not everyone will be healed, even though Jesus is a healer. Some of you might say, well, James 5 talks about the prayer of faith, though. So maybe that's what was going on. Maybe Paul didn't pray the prayer of faith. Timothy didn't. None of these other guys prayed the prayer of faith. If they'd prayed the prayer of faith in James 5, then they would have been better. And I think what can happen is sometimes we read a phrase like that, the prayer of faith, and we get this idea of getting really like buzzed up, you know, like, okay, we're going to be praying afterwards. Let's, let's get in the zone. Let's get hyped up. You know, we're going to do this. We're going to pray. Come on. They're going to get healed. And that's not what the prayer of faith is. I, I've definitely thought that before. Get like a bit emotionally hyped up, get excited for this. We're going to do it. Come on. But there's no reality to emotional excitement or charisma or energy. I, I mean, those, those rooms can be fun, but there's no power in that. The, the prayer of faith isn't in how we are feeling, which should encourage us. Because some of us today might be praying for someone who is sick. They come to you and say, hey, would you pray for me? And you don't feel it at all. And that's okay because you don't need to feel the power of healing to see Jesus heal. The prayer of faith is not about how we feel. It's about who Jesus is. The prayer of faith is not about our intensity of feeling. It's about the object of our faith, which is Jesus. That's what's going on in James chapter 5. So rather than trying to get yourself hyped up before you pray for someone, look to him. Who is Jesus? The fact that he is a healer that he is able to do this thing that maybe we don't feel even equipped to do. He is the healer. Our faith is in him, not ourselves. And we look to Jesus who died on the cross to free us from sin and shame and the one who is able to heal all sicknesses, all infirmities, all diseases, all things. And we ask that he would bring the healing. And when we pray like we're going to do in two minutes, we're doing the work that Jesus began. We're, we're continuing that work. We're asking the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to do the work of Jesus among the people of Jesus. I think for some of us, before we do pray, there, there is a need to just respond to Jesus this morning in light of this message. You might have something you need to bring to him. I'm, I'm sure some of us in this room have disappointments with God, doubts and questions. But if there's like a need for you to respond to Jesus before we pray, I'd love you to do that. I'd love you to bring disappointments in God to him this morning and even ask for his healing in those areas of your heart that might be really in pain. I realize for some of you this morning could be triggering or painful or hard. and I'm sorry about that. That makes so much sense to me. I'd love you to bring those things to God. Stories where people in your life weren't healed, where you weren't healed. Areas where you've prayed for healing and you're still asking God to heal. Bring those before him because I believe that is an act of faith. And ask God to meet you in that space. And I just say we welcome you here, Holy Spirit, and 
I do ask for your healing in our hearts and our minds this morning, in our stories, in our experiences, in our disappointments, in our confusion and our questions. I pray you would meet us in those today, that you would help us to believe that you are who you say you are, that you are a healer, and help us to respond to you. I ask for your help in those areas, Holy Spirit. Speak into those areas. Minister to those areas of us. Help us. Help us to trust you in areas of disappointment, we pray. And we ask as a church that we would believe in you to heal the sick. And we ask that we would see you heal the sick. And that we would see you do what you do, Jesus. The next thing I wanted to do before we pray personally is just take a moment to pray for those in our lives who might need healing. You might have a family member or friend, a neighbor or a coworker, someone that you would love to see healed, you know is sick, you know that they have need. Can we take a moment just where you are, just silently, just to pray for them, to ask Jesus who is a healer to heal them by his grace. One of the things I said while I was preaching was that healing is something that's by grace. So this morning, if you still desire to be prayed for, but for some reason you feel discouraged, we're going to make some space at the end just to pray. Um, But I love that example in John 5, that that man who comes for healing really doesn't have anything to bring to the table. And as we take communion, it's a similar thing. We've spoken about Jesus, the healer today. But it is the same with Jesus, the Savior. When we come to him for salvation, he brings everything that we need. We bring the sin, he brings the salvation. And this morning, what we're doing as we take communion is we're remembering his grace. We're remembering that Jesus paid it all, that Jesus gave it all for us, that by his stripes we are healed, that actually on the cross he died to forgive us of our sin, that his body that is represented by the bread was broken for us and his blood was shed to wash us clean. Jesus, we thank you today that you are a healer and that you are a savior. And I pray for each one of us as we leave here today that we would leave here in those truths. We would leave here knowing your forgiveness and believing that you can heal. And as we go into this week, I pray that you would be closer to us than before, that we would leave here this morning with you, that we would follow you into the things that you've got for us to do. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower us and help us to be your people in San Diego as we work and live and do all the things that we've got to do. Help us, guide us, empower us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.